I want you to imagine for a moment that you've just moved into a new town um, and lockdown has left you in uh, rather bad need of a a haircut. And um, in this new town, there are two barber shops. Um, You might want to think of the uh, equivalent, uh, the ladies' equivalent of that. Um, But you approach the first one and you look in through the the window of the barber shop and there you see rather a a scruffy um, layout. There's hair clippings all over the floor. The, um, the benches are really untidy. Um, the, uh, all the seats are threadbare. And uh, there's a lone barber there who's got rather a dodgy haircut. It's got chunks missing. It's all uneven. It's all over the place. So you move on a couple of uh, shops down the road, and there's another uh, barber shop. And you look in through the window of that, and it's completely different. This one is immaculately clean. It's got beautiful leather chairs. Um, all the benches are really beautifully uh, um, uh, laid, laid out with the, uh, the scissors and the, and the combs and the brushes. And again, there's a lone barber there, but he is quite different from the first one. He's uh, um, really immaculately turned out, really slick haircut, um, uh, really quite neat and tidy. I wonder, which one would you go to? Stick your hands up if you would uh, pick the first um, one. Uh, We've got a couple. What about the second one? Yeah, probably more. See, the trouble is, it's always dangerous to judge by appearances, isn't it? Right? Because... When you found out a little bit more about the first one, the reason that his floor was so dirty was he never had any time to clean up. He was so busy with clients. The seats were threadbare um, because uh, um, there were so many people coming through his shop day by day. And the reason that his haircut was dodgy was because the other guy did it for him. We're looking at a passage today um, that speaks to us um, something of the dangers of making assumptions about first appearances and looking at things perhaps from a biased perspective. I wonder, have you ever misjudged a situation? Have you ever taken something on face value um, or with a particular preconception or a particular understanding about a situation that you later find out to be completely false? To my shame, I have. I'll tell you about a a situation. When I was um, uh, just at the start of my uh, career, I was invited to go on a management development or training course. I was really excited to to have the honour to uh, be sent on this course. And uh, the first session was um, held at a hotel in a a kind of conference suite. And so I put on my best suit, um, turned out, uh, obviously went to the good barber uh, to get sorted out, uh, make myself as presentable as possible, and turned up. And there in the room around me, I saw uh, similarly clad people all uh, keen to impress. And then I noticed over in the corner where the kind of coffee table was, they were serving uh, refreshments there was um, somebody that looked really out of place. Um, uh, an older gentleman, rather, uh, rather portly, let's say, um, wearing rather scruffy jeans and a, and a bit of a kind of uh, shabby jumper. 
very scraggy beard. And uh, I thought, well, maybe he's just uh, the coach driver. Maybe he's brought a a group of people. um, And uh, he's just uh, uh, sneaking a cheeky coffee before he then uh, goes off and gets back on the road. And you can imagine my surprise when a couple of minutes later, um, he stood up at the front, called us to order and said, uh, um, hi, I'm the leader of your course. I'm going to be taking you through this uh, management training exercise. And I have to say, I was so ashamed because that individual turned out to be one of the most inspiring people that I have ever met, particularly in a a kind of secular setting. Um, Brought to me um, some really wise thoughts, and I've never forgotten many of the things that he taught me, and they stood me in great stead. I guess one of the most important lessons I learned was don't take things on face value. Don't assume. Because as my children keep reminding me, there's a big danger in assuming. Because when you assume, as the saying goes, you make an ass out of you and me. And I think this is particularly relevant when we think about God's plans and God's purposes for our lives. You see, as we see in uh, Isaiah, God declares that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are so much higher than our ways. So often we see things through human eyes that completely miss God's much, much bigger plans and purposes. His ways are far beyond ours. So let's not be constrained. And then he goes on, um, and Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that God often chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chooses the simple things. So again, let's be so careful about um, uh, what we base our thoughts on. Now, before we jump into today's reading, um, I just want to uh, share a little bit of a background Um, to the story. Uh, This is a new series that we're looking at and already from the reading that Deb uh, gave us you'll see uh, a number of uh, new characters that appear. And uh, um, if you've been following us on the tour you'll have seen that um, we've gone through a period in Israel's history called the Judges where judges were appointed as leaders over Israel. And There'd been some good instances, but for the most part, it wasn't really working out um, for Israel. They'd been going through a bit of a rough uh, patch. At one point, the Ark of the Covenant was was stolen by the Philistines. Um, They pretty quickly gave it back because that didn't uh, uh, turn out well for them. Um, uh, But the Israelites had fallen into embracing the worship of uh, foreign gods, Uh, They'd done all kinds of things that uh, were against the instruction that God had given them. And they were losing out on a number of battles. And they were looking around at them, at the the countries, the nations around them, and they saw that they all had kings. And they didn't have a king. And uh, they kind of grumbled to themselves and thought, well, if only we had a king. So the people went to Samuel and said, we want a king. (laughs) And uh, Samuel asked God about this. 
And even though it wasn't God's plan, he said, okay, go ahead. We'll appoint uh, a leader. And so uh, Samuel went and anointed this chap called Saul, and we'll uh, pick up a little bit about him uh, later on. Um, And, uh, you know, even though that was a blatant rejection by the Israelites of the fact that God was their king, they wanted this kind of earthly king. But uh, it... uh, uh, God let them uh, have this, uh, this leader. And we're told that in 1 Samuel 9 verse 2, that Saul was an impressive young man without equal. And he reigned for 42 years. But uh, to be honest, it wasn't a particularly successful reign. It had some good points, but overall it was, um, uh, was not good. And in the end, Saul's disobedience of God ended up with him being rejected as king. We saw that if you just turn back a previous chapter, 1 Samuel 15. And so we come into chapter 16, where Samuel is apparently mourning the loss of Saul as king. Now, Saul wasn't dead, but in Samuel's eyes, he was as good as dead because he'd been rejected by God. And God spoke to Samuel and said, stop mourning, stop mourning for Saul. Um, You know, I've, I've rejected him, but I've chosen somebody else to be king over Israel. And so God called Samuel to go off to this place called Bethlehem, and uh, to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. Now, I really love this part of the story because it starts to bring together so many kind of loose threads that have been going on. And if, again, you've been following the tour and following our our sermon series, uh, think back to to Ruth and the story of Ruth and Boaz and uh, um, how they uh, um, came to to meet and uh, were married. And there grandson turned out to be Jesse, the Jesse mentioned in this passage. And as we know, Jesse turned out to be the son of David, and you've got the whole lineage all the way then appearing to uh, um, the birth of Jesus. And again, this mention of this little, apparently insignificant town called Bethlehem, um, where ultimately we'd know that Jesus was born there. We've got, uh, um, you know, mentions of uh, of, uh, David being a shepherd. And how Jesus ultimately was the good shepherd. I think it's lovely how um, all these little things just come together. And I I really believe that God puts these in his word to um, show us that it is part of his plan. (laughs) It's not just an accident. You know, and I'd love to think that David was out tending sheep on the hillside. The very same hillside that perhaps the shepherds that were called by the angel to come and meet um, the newborn saviour Jesus. David was a shepherd who was called to be anointed as king. And it was shepherds who were called to go and meet the son of David who was the king of kings. I just love that. Now, 
Samuel is confronted with uh, all of uh, Jesse's sons and uh, again from the reading you'll note that he takes one look at uh, Eliab and he thinks this must be the one. He's a from the description apparently tall and good looking but Samuel has to give him a nudge uh, um, God has to give Samuel a nudge and say look he's not the one God doesn't look at people's appearances um, he doesn't look at his height um, he looks at the things of the heart There was an interesting post on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you uh, saw this on the BBC News. It went a little bit viral. And it is the resignation note of a cleaner at HSBC. And I'll read it to you. This is a a lady who'd served as cleaner for um, 35 years at HSBC. And she writes, Hi, ladies. Tomorrow will be my last clean for HSBC. I've made up a bucket of ISS cleaning material for the next cleaner, whoever that may be. I've left the job, Julie, I was her boss, after the way you dressed me down in the office. It was nothing more than aggressive and cruel, but that's a reflection on your character, not mine. So going forward, please, all of you remember, in a world when you can be anything, be kind because you are all no better than the cleaner. Regards, Julie. And I thought that was a really quite wonderful um, expression of how God looks at us. You know, because it's easy for us to look upon others as worse than us. Yeah, we're better than them. Sometimes we can fall into the same trap of uh, thinking that others are better than us. We're, we're We're no good. But you know, God sees us all in the same, um, in the same way. When Brian prayed, he uh, mentioned that uh, verse from John 3.16, God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him, it doesn't matter, we, we come without qualifications. We're all equal in God's sight. God looks at what's going on in our heart, not in how important we are, what job we are, how tall we are, how handsome we are. Now, it's interesting that when finally uh, David is selected, he's described as handsome, so you don't have to be ugly to be in the kingdom of God, which is a good thing. (laughs) Jesse calls for all of his sons, um, you know, one by one, and uh, after seven sons, still um, the, the right one hasn't appeared. And it's almost like well, Samuel doesn't know where to go next. Well, you know, are there any more? And uh, um, Jesse responds, well, there's, there's David, but he's the youngest and he's out tending the sheep. You know, almost uh, dismissing him as an option. But you know what? When all earthly options seem to have died out, in God's economy, there's always still one more. Because God, because God never has plans that are a dead end and so David is summoned he's the eighth he's a shepherd he's the youngest and the number eight in uh, scripture is uh, always important right seven is the number of completeness eight is the number of new beginnings and this was like a new beginning 
a mark that God was saying this is uh, something, uh, something different. And it's also interesting that God often chooses not the oldest. Sometimes the, uh, um, the, the, the second oldest. So we saw that with uh, um, uh, uh, Jacob being chosen over Esau, Joseph being chosen over his brothers, Moses being chosen over his elder brother Aaron. But David wasn't just the second oldest, <laughs> he was the youngest, the eighth. God looks at the heart, not on age, not on qualification, not on experience. Now, when um, I looked at the passages and I looked back at the anointing of Saul, and I would recommend you have a look through some of the previous chapters in 1 Samuel, and I compared that with what we see about the anointing of David, I see some real clear differences. And for me, they are the mark of whether this was part of God's plan A or whether it was part of more man's plan. You see, Saul's um, appointment and his anointing was instigated by the people. It was the people that went and said, we want a king. But in David's situation, the anointing and appointing was instigated by God. God said, I've chosen a new king. If you look back, I'm not sure how significant it is because there might be different uh, uh, translations. But uh, looking back at 1 Samuel 9, God allows Saul to be appointed as leader. God doesn't say, I'm going to allow him to be king. It's the people subsequently that hail him as king. I just wonder whether there's a significance in that. But when it comes to David's anointing, God clearly says, he's going to be your king. Saul was uh, an impressive man, um, an impressive young man without equal. David is described as a man after God's own heart. Saul was occasionally empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see that in 1 Samuel 10. But if you uh, were listening to uh, the reading that Deb gave, David was filled with the Spirit continually right from that point on. There's a marked difference between the assumptions and the preconceptions and the preconceived ideas of man's plan versus God's plan. And as you read on through Scripture, you'll see how important this whole event was in the unfolding of God's bigger plan. How important it is that we see God's anointing, God's direction on the things that we do. So just in closing, and to try and summarize, you know, what are, what are some of the things that we need to think about when we talk about being after God's own heart? What does that really mean? So the first thing that I was saying is don't assume. In other words, kind of don't judge. Don't uh, um, look at things um, through uh, a kind of very narrow perspective. If we want to be somebody after God's own heart, we have to put his views first. We have to go with his plans. We need to see people and situations as God sees them, 
not the way we would like them to work out or the way we perceive them. I wonder how many unnecessary arguments are formed because we stand by our own um, rigid view of things. If only we could see things from a bigger perspective. How much uh, more that would help our fellowship. And then the third thing that I think about in terms of being after God's uh, own heart is make sure that we seek God's anointing, not just uh, our own blessing or the blessing of those around us. How easy it is for us to think we're doing uh, the right thing because it feels good, feels appropriate to us. But if God's anointing is not in it, if it's not part of God's plan, it's not going to succeed in the same way um, as it would otherwise. So seek God's anointing on the things that you do. Amen. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you uh, see things so differently um, to what we, in our narrow human earthly views, see them as. Lord, help us to have wider vision. Help us to see things through your eyes. Help us not to judge and assume, but to always seek your face, to seek your plans, to seek your anointing on the things that we do. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.